News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Joining us now is Mike Bangu, who's a Merritt City Councilor. Mike, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're welcome, Simi. And where are you? I am in Kamloops. I myself was evacuated, uh, and I'm in one of our one of Kamloops's local hotels. Okay, and what happened? Can you give us an idea of what the like well, the failures of what happened that forced all the evacuation of people yesterday? Well, it's our uh, wastewater treatment plant that failed. Um, and that forced us to evacuate the community. Without that essential service, uh, I think more harm will be done uh, if citizens uh, remain in merit. And so, for that reason, we asked them to leave. So what is the situation with the water treatment plant then? Will, when will you be able to, city officials, be able to get a take a look at it and find out what the problem is? Yeah, that's not something I can I can answer. But what we require right now is are the waters to recede so that we can get in there and begin begin work. Um, and I hope that can happen uh, as soon as possible. Now, what's it like for residents right now, Mike? Like, that's pretty stressful the last couple of hours. People must be spread out everywhere. Uh, they are. They are. We have groups in Kelowna. We have groups in Kamloops. Um, and, and unfortunately, not all of them have found housing as of yet or a place to stay. And they are, uh, they are uh, at the emergency centers. Um, and I'd like to thank the volunteers at the different emergency centers. Uh, they're making this experience um, uh, a much easier. It is a traumatic experience, and I've seen the look on my people's face, and they're hurting. And um, I just hope we can get through this as quick as possible. How can we help? If you've got people still in emergency centers, what can the rest of people here in BC do? I think the best thing to do would be to contact uh the different emergency centers uh, in Kamloops and in Kelowna to help the citizens of Merritt. Um, and as for the community of Merritt, again, what we need are the waters to recede. And I, I mean, you know me, uh, I think the best thing to do here is pray. Uh, only nature can defeat nature. So you don't know so when that's pray. going to be? Like any idea when the waters might recede? Look, what has Environment Canada said about the forecast? I have not received an update. Um, but I hear that they are slightly receding. So hopefully today today is a better day and we can provide more information on that front. Okay, so more to come there, but it sounds like there's a it's overflowing right now in Kamloops and Kelowna. Uh, yes. I'm not sure if overflow is the correct word. Uh, after speaking with one of the volunteers at the Kamloops Centre, uh, they were expecting 100 to 200 people and 4,700 people Whoa. showed up here. So I think uh, they might be playing a bit of catch-up. But again, they're doing a wonderful job, and I thank them. Uh, They're making this much easier. All right. Well, keep in touch. Uh, Let us know how it goes, and we wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. That is Merritt City Councillor Mike Bangu talking about what how stressful this is for residents. <laughs> that picture there that at the Kamloops uh, Community Centre, they were expecting about 100 or a couple of hundred perhaps evacuees from Merritt. They ended up with 4,700. So I know there's a lot of people out there who would like to help. I can't even imagine being told to pack up and leave your home like that in just you know short notice and the entire town is underwater right now. So yes, we'll get more information about how you can help. But according to Councillor Bangu right now, contact the community centers there, 
ask them what they need. And we'll get more information for you on that too, because I'm certain that just imagine how much they must need right now. So we'll have more information on. I know there's a lot to remember with what is going on this morning, but an update on the Burrard Street Bridge. It has now reopened, actually. They said, City of Vancouver saying, thanks to calmer weather, low winds, the risk of the barge that has been stuck there on the wa- uh, just off the water has been greatly reduced. They're going to monitor that continuously throughout the day, but they had been worried that it was going to uh, break loose and hit the Burrard Street Bridge. So that has not happened. That's good. They've reopened the bridge. That's good for traffic, but lots of other things. Of course, uh, evacuation on Sumas Prairie to keep an eye on. We will continue to keep you updated. We also want to make sure that we keep talking about the community of Merritt. More than 7,000 people out of their homes, the entire city flooded. And a lot of people want to know, how can we help? Well, joining us now is Tony Luck, another councillor from the city of Merritt. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Simi. And where have you evacuated to right now? Um, my wife and I are in a hotel room in Kamloops right at the moment and with my mother in another room beside me because uh, she lives with us. So it's been a little traumatic over the last uh, day or so. Yeah. Can you give me an idea? What has the last 24 hours been like for you? What happened? Well, I think it's just settling in now. You know, uh, you get up and do what you have to, Simi, and get on the on the road and, uh, and and get settled into a new place. But this morning you wake up and the shock kind of settles in, especially when you see a note note on Facebook that says we're not sure what the timeline is to come back to our community. So that's kind of a little uh, disturbing, especially as a counselor, right? What, what are we going to do to get our people back into our community as quickly as we can? And what, like, obviously there's people all over the place. They're in emergency centers. Uh, what can we do to help? Well, that's a really good question. I, I think uh, I talked to another fellow counselor this morning. I mean, it's the old standby. I think we need a lot of prayer right now and a lot of hope. Um, I'm a little emotional as I think about it because we got 7,000 people out. We got a water treatment plant that's down and we're not sure when we're going to be able to get back to our community. It's a very trying time. And Tony, our our sympathy is with you, which is why we wanted to make sure we keep talking about, about merit today so that we can, you know, help out there. And I think a lot of people are probably going through what you're going through right now is just that, the residual, is, the shock is setting in. The shock is setting in, and I think that's what's, I'm going to go over the emergency uh, center a little later this morning and talk to people over there, and it will. It, the shock settles in. So, you know, like, uh, we moved to Merritt about four years ago, and we built a home there, and we, we were going to make this forever home and everything. And But, you know, we, it, our home is, our home, our personal home is safe up on a, on a little bit of a rise there, so we didn't get flooded out, but we can't go home and turn the water on or flush your toilet, right? And that's, and, and we've got the least of it. You've got all the people there in the low-lying areas that flooded, you know, flooded basements. And, and uh, when I went driving, there was stuff floating down the roads and things like that. What are we going to do to get these, this, this back online as soon as we can, Simi? So you, the question you asked me is, how can we help? I think at the moment, we're just going to have to wait a little bit and find out what's, what the need is because the city is in a lockdown. And once the water recedes, we can start uh, assessing the damage and what needs to be done there. We can get it back in and help people uh, clean out their base and uh, and fix their lawns and their dry roads, whatever it's going to take yeah. to get people back comfortable again. And also, Tony, is there a lot of concern about the infrastructure here too? You had a, a failure of the water treatment plant. I mean, that sounds like yeah. there's a lot of work there that needs to be done on the infrastructure. 
Well, and I got a note late last night, one of the main bridges, uh, this is Mike, our concern is one of the main bridges that uh, if people know Mayor at all, you come down vote past RV campground and then you go to the rodeo, that bridge collapsed yesterday. So that's one of the main arteries to this other side of the city and, and there's going to be a lot of infrastructure that's going to have to be fixed. So you've got a bridges, you've got the water treatment plant or the water uh, and roads. Uh, I saw a lot of some pretty rough water rushing down some of the roads there that I know that's going to take out a lot of the pavement, right? Where do you even start, Tony? I mean, how does this council, have you been talking to the mayor and other councillors and city staff? How do you even keep the city going when even your city staff are probably all over the place? Well, they are. They're all over the staff. I understand, you know, just blocking roads to keep people out of the community. Uh, you know, there's a lot of concern about that going on. Uh, and that's what I've been thinking about this morning as I talked to another fellow, a couple of fellow councillors is where do we start? Where do we, where do, and we say like, well, how can we help? At this point, I'm not sure because, uh, first of all, the water's got to recede and then we can get some crews in there to start cleaning up the mess. But where do we start with the infrastructure? Uh, fixing the water treatment plant, uh, it, you know, we have to assess where it is and how we're going to fix that. Uh, how do we fix the bridge that gets com- people, you know, linked back into their community? Uh, I, I think we're going to have to reach out to the provincial government and ask them for some help on this. We're going to have to be looking at maybe some shoring up some diking, rebuilding a few bridges and water treatment plants. So, where do you start? And we got such a wonderful, resilient community. It's, we've been hit hard with the logging, uh, what's happened in the logging industry, the mining industry and that. And here we, you know, and we, we just managed to divert the, just bypass the, uh, a bit of the issue with the fires this last summer and help out a lot of people as they're coming out on Linton and Lillooet. And, and now it's us. Yeah. So what are we going to do? It's just, it's very hard to uh, phantom at this point, Simi. What um, has there been any communication, Tony, with the provincial government? We spoke to the public safety minister earlier. He said, you know, they're there for for the city of Merritt. Anything that they can do. What has the communication been like? I'm not exactly sure at the moment. I just tried to get hold of our CAO. Uh, I talked to him this morning. I haven't been able to get home. I know he's very, very busy in there. We've got the uh, uh, CAO of the uh, thompson Nicola Regional District. They're down in Merritt as well, helping out as best they can. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're, gonna, we're waiting for an update on that, Simi, so we haven't received that yet, but we're hoping they're in the communication with the provincial government. I think they're just working at trying to get people settled in and moved around at this point and just assessing the damage, and we hopefully will hear something a little bit later today, Simi. Okay, well, listen, best of luck. We're thinking of the people of Merritt. Anything we can do to help, just let us know. We sure will. Thank you very much, everyone. Okay, thank you. That is Tony Luck. He is a Merritt City Councillor. Um, obviously an emotional time for people from Merritt right now. The last 24 hours, can you imagine just sitting there this morning and thinking, what the heck just happened in the last 24 hours, right? Sunday, you're at home. Monday, you're out of your house. The community is flooded. The water treatment plant has failed. And you're wondering, how does the city even move forward at this point? Uh, So thank you to him for taking the time to be on with us. And yes, we all want to know how we can help and they still they need to get that together so they can tell us what what needs to be done. They're still in the process, though, of, I think, trying to figure that all out. We will continue to follow that story for you and have the latest, of course. This is Mornings with Simi. Just a reminder here about the evacuation order that went into effect early this morning. It's for the entire portion of the Sumas Prairie to the Chilliwack border. Uh, Abbotsford police saying water levels there are rising very quickly. Residents are urged to pack up, get out right now. And in fact, uh, Abbotsford Fire and Abbotsford Police will have a press conference in about oh, 25 minutes time or so to update that situation. And we'll have more information as soon as it becomes available. 
Now, in other news, and yes, there is other news going on out there, and this one may have slipped you by yesterday, but it turns out that that group that opposes the transition from the RCMP in Surrey to a municipal police force, well, they announced yesterday that they believe they've collected, well, close to 43,000 signatures from residents in order to push for a referendum on policing in that city. Darlene Bennett launched the campaign with the group Surrey Police Vote over concerns about rising costs associated with this new municipal police force, which we know is a very big project that Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum has undertaken since his election. Well, to talk more about the signatures and where the campaign is at now, Darlene Bennett joins us now. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me this morning. That was a real push in the last couple of days to get all those signatures. It, it was. It was. It um Crazy times, and you know, but the the public showed up. The residents of Surrey showed up. They they clearly want a voice in this, and I am very humbled by that. So your total signatures were forty two thousand nine hundred and forty two. Darlene, is that enough? I hope so. And that is just Surrey. There were other signatures from um, other Lower Mainland districts that weren't calculated into that total. That is just Surrey signatures. So I I think that is enough. And what is the requirement here? To, in order to make a referendum happen, what's the requirement? The requirement was um, about 35000 for the nine um, ridings in Surrey. The recall initiative re- uh, requires 10% of the 87 ridings. We knew we were never going to achieve that. We weren't asking for a provincial referendum. We were asking for a regional referendum. So the thought of the campaign was that if we concentrated on the nine ridings in Surrey, and reach those 10%, that that would show a clear message to the um, provincial government that Surrey residents want a voice in this. Right. So technically, though, you can't trigger a referendum because you focused on those Surrey ridings. Is that right? Yes. But the, the, the government at any time under the Referendum Act can call for a referendum in Surrey. And what do you think were some of the deciding factors? Like, did, did, did you get more people kind of coming to you as this campaign progressed? What were you hearing from people? Um, yeah, it, actually, the, the mayor uh, helped me out every time um, something happened. There were more people that were angry, and they came out and they signed. People want a voice in this. You know, we haven't been given the facts. There's been no transparency. We don't know where the costs are going to go for, with this police transition. And the public's mad. Is that the sense that you got from people? Yes, very much. And why did you start this, Darlene? I started this um, because of Paul. Um, And, you know, I just, I don't know how this is going to improve public safety in um, Surrey. Um, As you know, Paul, my husband, was murdered in our driveway in 2018. And his case is active and ongoing with IHIT and the Surrey RCMP. And I just don't want his right to justice to be jeopardized. And I think something of this magnitude, um, things are going to get lost. And I just want that protected. I want his, his right to justice protected, and I want his case to move forward. I would say that your husband's case is probably, you know, the most high-profile one, right, that has come up in this uh, Surrey police transition. Has anybody ever communicated to you either from, you know, Surrey RCMP or the people who are already working for the Surrey police force about what's going to happen with that case? I know that um, from, I I did speak to the DCC of the SPS in uh, early uh, spring, and he did confirm 
that um, Paul's case would stay with IHIT, that they were going to stay with that. But I also know that that um, police transition report that was presented to the province that the uh, Wally Opal reviewed isn't what they're using anymore. They're starting again with a plan. They're starting all over again? Yes. Well, that must be frustrating. It is. It is, because you're you're not sure what's happening. And and that's where the transparency part comes in. The public doesn't know. And so you're somebody, Darlene, who I think everybody, we listen, right? Because we know what you've gone through. It's horrible. You're still waiting for justice on this. But what about city council? What about the mayor? Has the mayor listened to you? No, no. Actually, I just I went to um, a budget meeting in 2019, and that's the last time I kind of talked to him. And um, you know, he he's answered one letter. I think I've only written three to him. But you know, you feel like the door's been shut in your face, and um, maybe that's more what prompted me to to um, join this campaign because this has always felt like the right thing to do. I guess the public hasn't had the ability to have informed consent, and and that is so needed for policing. I mean, policing is built on public trust. And do you feel like if they had talked to you then, if they had, you know, given you more information maybe or brought you along in the process a bit more, would things be different? They might have been. You know, I might have felt like I had been heard that, you know, my questions had um, been answered in in a timely fashion. Um, Yeah, there's been none of that. And, and, you know, that's that's not right. So what happens now then? Well, the the petitions have made it to Elections BC and Victoria, so we'll wait for the count. And um, now it's just to keep putting pressure on the provincial government that the residents of Surrey want a voice in this. They want a referendum. Do you know how long it will take to hear from Elections BC? Um, no. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that it doesn't take too long, but um, I know there there is a lot of uh, petition sheets to go through. So I hope, you know, that it, it, it happens sooner rather than later. All right. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Darlene, thank you. Thank you very much. That's Darlene Bennett, head of the Surrey Police Vote Campaign. She's also the wife of murder victim Paul Bennett. You probably remember that story from a few years back. He was the hockey dad gunned down in his driveway. Police believed just a complete like random thing that it was a case of mistaken identity or just innocent bystander. And not a lot of progress uh, that Darlene has even heard about on this case, which led for her to become involved in this whole Surrey police vote campaign. So they have collected 42,942 signatures. That is about 13.5% of the 318,000 registered voters in the nine districts in Surrey. That's according to numbers from Elections BC back in 2017. But here's the thing. Technically, the Referendum Act says that you have to get 10% of the signatures in the province to force the referendum. But they only want to do this in Surrey. So they only collected the signatures for Surrey. Those are the ones that they really focused on. So on that technicality, will Elections BC accept this and say it needs to move forward? Will the provincial government, you know, jump in here and say, well, it's clear, you know, BC residents want to have, or Surrey residents want to have this referendum. Those are the big questions hanging over this campaign. Meanwhile, the Surrey Police Service continues to hire people. They continue to move forward. 
But there are still these questions about whether or not this transition will actually happen. If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com. You can also call our buzz line 604-331-2899. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, it has been an incredibly busy couple of days due to the weather conditions. Sun is shining, well, right now, but there's a lot of recovery, a lot of cleanup, a lot of waiting for the floodwaters to recede at this point, particularly in a community like Merritt, where seven more than 7,000 people are out of their homes, where they've had a complete failure of their infrastructure. Their water treatment plant had a failure. The water is contaminated. Everybody had to leave. And so there, that's like thousands and thousands of people who are now out of their homes and waiting to find out what is going to happen next. You saw the video, no doubt, or heard the stories of the hundreds of people as well who were trapped in their vehicles after mud and rock slides in parts of the province had trapped people in their cars. And we had to call in Canadian forces, heavy duty search and rescue teams to help get those stranded motorists to safety. So what is the status of all those you know who need to be rescued, of emergency services, what more needs to be done? Joining us now to talk about that is Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Can I just get a status update on the rescue operations? Do we believe that we have gotten everybody out safely? Yes. Uh, as of last night, uh, everyone was, uh, has gotten out safely uh, from the, uh, the three locations, the one uh, in, uh, in um, um, Princeton, um, and then the one at the Hague uh, slide area, and then also on the Highway 7 where aircraft were, uh, helicopters were used to, uh, to, to get people evacuated. So they're all out. Uh, some of them are in Hope and others are at different evacuation centres. I know there was some current concern about the Duffy Lake Road area there that perhaps not everybody was accounted for. Do we know that that's, been, that's the case? I have not received uh, a confirmation uh, on on the the situation on uh, Duffy Road at, at this point. Okay, so that's still waiting. We're still waiting for more information on that. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the highway situation here as well. Like you've got some serious washouts here. How much of the transportation infrastructure here has been pretty much dealt a bad blow? Uh, we've had uh, significant uh, damage on the uh, the transportation system, uh, you know, Highway 1, Highway 5, Highway 3, Highway 7. Uh, and so what's happening now, obviously, is uh, assessment on the uh, the nature of the damage. Uh, we do know that uh, there's a significant uh, washout on the Coquihalla on Highway 5. Uh, geotechnical experts and engineers from uh, the Ministry of Transportation and Highways will be out uh, inspecting and determining uh, the state of the damage uh, and uh, and crews will be working to get things fixed as, as soon as possible. Um, obviously, some will be relatively quickly. Uh, in the case of debris flows, it's often, it, it, you know, it, that, that may that may take, uh, you know, from a few hours or a day to get some clearance and get the roads open. Others are going to take uh, a significant amount of time. And in particular, I think uh, from what we've seen on the Coquihalla, there has been some significant damage uh, at a section there. That's a critical part of our transportation infrastructure in this province, though. Are you concerned about that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why um, the, the, the professionals, the geotechnical experts, the engineers are out uh, determining the state, uh, the condition, um, you know, what needs to be done to ensure uh, that one, roads are safe, uh, but more importantly, uh, just as importantly, 
um, the work that needs to be done to uh, to fix uh, some of those areas that have been uh, that have been impacted and getting that full assessment uh, and that's going to happen that's happening right now and it's going to take place obviously over the next uh, the, the next few days so what about supply issues here I mean these are critical you know roads that that transport goods and services all over the province how is the, how is BC going to deal with this so Ministry of Transportation and Highways obviously doing an assessment of the damage and then at the same time working on alternative routes. Um, and so right now, uh, I think what I'm hearing is, is that Highway 1 um, is, is, does not have the, uh, the level of, of damage that, for example, that we have seen on the Coquihalla. On the Coquihalla, it may well be that they're going to have to uh, put in place uh, for a certain section um, it may be one one lane each way. Obviously, that has an impact, uh, but you know, we still have the ability to to move goods. Highway three, uh, as well, um, you know, is 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 in better shape um, from what we can tell. So it's it's right now very much getting that assessment, getting the, uh, the 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 experts understanding the nature of the problem, and so that we can ensure that repairs are done and that the roads are safe. Given what we saw happen, which was extraordinary in the last 48 hours, Minister Farnworth, does this tell us that we need to update our planning situation? I mean, BC had a lot of flooding problems in the 40s and 50s until we undertook, you know, the dike system to fix things. These are all called beyond one in a hundred year floods. What do we need to do? Well, a lot of that work has been underway and is ongoing, um, you know, right from the local government uh, level, right up to the provincial, right up to the federal level. Uh, in terms of the province, um, we are right now undergoing a significant rewrite of the Emergency Program Act that deals with how we respond and deal with, uh, with, with, with emergencies of all kinds, taking into account uh, climate change. Um, so it's not just about you know, response, but it's about prevention, mitigation, response and recovery, building back better. Um, we have uh, we have seen over the last you know number of years uh, increased support in terms of getting better uh, understanding in terms of flood mapping, uh, so that communities have the best information determining what you know what needs to be done in terms of the, the diking infrastructure. Um, there has been you know uh, because we have literally thousands and thousands of dikes. Um, built to varying degrees and standards. Right now, most dikes are probably built to the one in 100 to one in 200 year year flood event. Um, and so, obviously, after this, you know, you're going to have to go back and, and reassess and look at: do we need to change? Do we need to change those standards? Um, because that the event that we saw over the last uh, 24, 48 hours is certainly I've never seen anything like it. I talked with people from transportation and highways who said in their 30 year career they've never seen anything like this. So would you say this is the beginning of BC changing how we deal with these situations? This is this is this is the kind of situation that reminds us of the importance of emergency measures, the importance of being prepared, the importance of investing uh in in, in infrastructure, all of those things, uh that climate change is real, uh that these events we know are going to be more common. Uh and so that's why, you know, the ongoing work that, that is already underway uh, is going to continue to make sure that that we are doing everything we can, uh, not only to be able to 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 prepare but to respond. Uh, and all I can say is I think the, the you know the men and women on our search and rescue and our police, our first responders, uh, the the search and rescue out of Comox yesterday, and just regular folks did an incredible job uh, in dealing with the situation that arose. Let's talk about what's going on in Merritt right now. You've got more than 7,000 residents out of their homes. What happened there? What kind of failure happened? 
Well, what you saw was an, in, in just an unprecedented amount of rain uh, uh, precipitation uh, and a rising of the, uh, the river very quickly. Uh, and as you know, Merritt is built uh, in, in part uh, on a floodplain. Uh, the, the issue in Merritt is there's an evacuation order uh, for that, uh, I think about initially 2,000 residents um, on the, that floodplain part. And then the uh, water uh, and sewage plant uh, being compromised suddenly made it that it, it impacted the entire town. And so the, uh, um, the evacuation order was expanded to cover all of Merritt. Uh, because you know you're not going to be able to have uh, uh, drinking water. You're not going to be able to 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 you know flush the toilet or the, the sewer system's compromised. So that's what's ha- that's what's happened in in Merritt, uh, and uh, um, we'll be working with Merritt, uh, the city of Merritt, to uh, to ensure that, that they get back up and running and able to get the the water treatment uh, sewage plant uh, operating uh, the way that it's supposed to. It's a lot of people, though, who are in an emergency situation right now who obviously need help. What kind of services are being provided? Uh, emergency support services are in place. So once the evacuation order was 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 put in place, uh, the um, uh, support centers in uh, uh, Kamloops and Kelowna um, were stood up, uh, put into action. Uh, people were told which of the two centers they should go to. Uh, the supports will be available to them. Uh, at those locations. Obviously, the first priority is if you can stay with family and friends to be able to do that. Uh, And then uh, at the reception centers, they'll be able to arrange accommodation and the services that you're going to need while while this is an ongoing situation. And I know British Columbians obviously would like to step in and help for anybody who needs it. Will there be a way for us to do that? Uh, yeah, there is always a, a way. You can always make donations to the uh, the Red Cross, uh, for example, um, uh, and, and, and help. Uh, they help. And they do incredible work in situations like this. Uh, at the same time, um, you know the disaster um, that we have seen this this event, um, the uh, disaster uh, financial uh, assistance uh, that this qualifies for that. So there will be assistance on, on that basis. But the Red Cross is, is one of the best ways uh, for people to be able to uh, to make donations and to help. All right. Uh, thank you very much for that. And just a reminder here, when it comes to the Coquihalla Highway, I mean, any idea? We're talking weeks, potentially months? Um, it, that's why the, uh, the, uh, the experts, the geotechnical uh, engineers and the engineers are out doing that assessment right now so they can fully determine, okay, uh, how long is this going to take? What's the scope and the extent of the damage? Though in the case of the Coquihalla, I think it could be out for, for a significant amount of time. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. Undoubtedly, weather will be the biggest story of the year here in British Columbia. Just take a look at what happened in the last 48 hours. The What's happened, the storms, the, the rain, everything that's gone on, uh, it is said to have generated mind-boggling data for scientific analysis. So what have we learned from it so far? Joining us is Armel Castellani, Warning Preparedness Meteorologist for Environment and Climate Change Canada. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. What has the last couple of days been like for you? Well, pretty intense, I have to say. I mean, seeing this unfold, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, how, what else can 2021 bring upon us, uh, particularly in BC, uh, you know, ever since the drought and the, the heat of summer and then t- turning the tap on mid 
September, but really felt like November right away, you know, going through 225% of normal precipitation in those first two months of, of fall. And then uh, this crescendo over the weekend uh, was just something else. And so far, you're right, we're still analyzing, there's going to be a lot of data crunching here for the next weeks. Uh, but right away, we can see that many locations, uh, particularly in the Fraser Valley, uh, Hope, for instance, uh, looking at a return period of one to 50 years and even some one to 100 year return period. So very anomalous event, copious amounts of water, um, places that have their all time 24 hour records uh, for rain broken for at least the station history. And that's pretty impressive all on its own. Okay, so sounds like a lot of records have been broken. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Would you say rainfall records? Like what about Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley? Um, yeah, we have certainly uh, a lot of rain, you know, right through uh, the Howe Sound uh, and then into Metro Vancouver and then further east. Uh, of course, the largest quantities were deeper into the Fraser Valley at Hope and even in the mountains, we're estimating uh, over 300, maybe even 350 millimeters. So it just shows how much the, the mountainous terrain took on, obviously the watersheds uh, and then spilling over to the lee side of our coastal mountains to affect uh, places like Princeton and Merritt. Now, have we been impacted, like all these floods and everything that we saw happening, what what impacted all of that? Like, did the wildfire season impact that? Was there a, a, an accumulation of events? I think you always have, um, yeah, corroborating events, you know, uh, a drought and the hydrophobic soils, burn scars. Those things definitely play a role on how, you know, the next phase or the next season plays out. So, um, you know, and drought is not just a one-year wonder type of thing. It's been many years now that we've seen uh, very, very dry signals over the summer and, uh, and has impacts on the forest health, it has impacts on the soils. Um, you know, these things all add up to how, uh, you know, then, you know, in, in this case, the very wet season. And the fact that it's been very wet, I mean, some places had 350% of normal in September for their rainfall. And then you just keep that kind of active parade of storms from the Pacific into October and now uh, halfway through November. In fact, some of those locations, we're seeing almost all of November rain, average amounts of rain in one day or in a, you know just under a 48-hour period. So it really is a, a stark contrast to, to how we were doing in uh, July and August. No kidding. Okay, so today, Armel, the sun seems to be shining. What's in store for us? Yeah, it's uh, time to lick our wounds a little bit and look forward. Um, luckily, it's it's a dry spell here for at least a couple of days, you know, it's right through Wednesday afternoon. Um, a little bit of shower potential, you know, late Wednesday into Thursday, but obviously not an atmospheric river, anything like we saw. Um, it'll, you know, it'll be gray and a little bit wet there on Thursday. Um, a little bit of a break on Friday and Saturday even, so just maybe a couple showers overnight. Uh, I think it's it's way more reasonable of a forecast compared to really uh, almost all of the fall. I mean, we had that two and a half day break at Halloween, which was beautiful. And uh, I think this is, uh, again, a bit of a break like that. So was any of this predictable, Armel, when you look at how extraordinary this flooding was, even today in Abbotsford, you've got, you know, in the Sumas Prairie, uh, the high water levels happening, like there's about a thousand people people who've had to leave their homes there. Is there a way, have we 
can we map this? Can we predict any of this? Well, you know, it's it's obviously very multi-jurisdictionary. We talk to the River Forecast Center uh, at, at the provincial level very routinely, um, and and we look at events like this unfold with, you know, a certain amount of granularity ahead of the event, you know, earlier last week. And then as we got further into the week, you know, we put out our warnings, our special weather statements, um, as the event looked like it was really going to bullseye over uh, BC and not just Washington state. So it, it's a matter in these really thin events because they're super long. They stretch right from Hawaii all the way to us here. But, you know, a shift of 50 or 100 kilometers makes an enormous difference from seeing, you know, historic and flooding to an average wet day. And so that's, that's what kind of gets put uh, under the microscope uh, all the way through until, you know, those last critical forecasts, say, on the, on the Friday and early Saturday morning. Right. And so now, Armel, what do you do with all of this data that has been generated over the last 72 hours? Well, I mean, it's, it's great for posterity to understand and to uh, explain, uh, you know, what happens and it feeds into our modeling of atmospheric rivers because we know uh, with the climate changing that they have the uh, likelihood of becoming more potent, more like stronger and more intense uh, in the coming years and decades. So it's something that we really want to uh, leverage, learn from and get better at, at you know, forecasting those in the future, uh, just knowing how how hugely impactful they, they have been on so many people's lives. So true. Armel, thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, my pleasure, Sammy. Take care. That's Armel Castellan, who's a warning preparedness meteorologist for Environment and Climate Change Canada. Uh, we're talking about the records that have been broken, just an extraordinary number of, of uh, like weather records that have just fallen in the last three days or so. For instance, the District of Hope, saw its wettest day on record ever on Sunday. They had rainfall that added up to 174 millimeters. Chilliwack also reportedly broke records on Sunday. Rainfall of 154.6 millimeters. That's in one day. One day. As he pointed out, a lot of these areas, Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, you know, pushing uh, eastward there, had enough rain in one day that they would normally get for an entire month. That's how extraordinary this has been. So lots more to come as they dig into the reasons for this.